through 29. Brothers, let me take example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Why I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in its grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not, for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, male, nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God. Uh, thanks, Ivy. Um, I hope you're all awake this morning. Um, this passage is quite intense, um, and it would be really helpful if you could keep your Bibles open um, or keep your Bibles on um, as we go through the passage. Um, but as we come to God's Word, let me just pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we've heard your Word to us this morning, uh, we pray that you'll continue to speak to us um, as we explore it more deeply. Please open our hearts, open our minds, give us ears to hear your truth. And please help us to be lifted up and empowered to live for you through the words that we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the law. Uh, The law is probably two words that either instill fear into Christians or just confusion. Uh, There seems to be so much about it in the Bible. I mean, the Old Testament contains the laws of Moses twice over, as well as all the prophets who come reminding people to keep the law. And that's a huge chunk of the Bible. How on earth does that all apply to us today? Do we just skip over it? Do we really have to read it? 
And maybe more importantly, do we still have to follow it? Um, these are all big questions. Uh, we're not going to cover all the issues uh, involved in this topic. Um, there are so many different debates, different opinions out there. Um, we're going to follow Paul and his argument here. Um, and hopefully that will give us some helpful pointers on this topic. Um, just a little sketch of where we're going. It's going to be quite dense, I apologize. But then again, Paul is being pretty theological here. Um, we're going to look at the issue of how the law relates to God's promises in the Bible. And then we're going to explore the purpose of the law. And then finish on some relevant applications for Christians, how we should respond and view the law. Um, so something about promise before the law. Um, terms and conditions. Uh, we see a lot of them today. Um, it's a familiar slogan. And if you're cynical like I am, um, we kind of see it as a way for companies and advertisers to make grand promises, uh, but write things in tiny, tiny print that may change the way you actually use or experience the product that's on offer. Uh, it may be that shopping voucher that you receive in the post giving you a discount off certain items. And if you read later in the tiny print at the bottom that the voucher was only valid for one week in the year and it's already expired. Uh, or maybe the budget airline that you've booked online, uh, amazed at how cheap the ticket was, uh, only to realize later that if you'd bothered to read the terms and conditions, uh, which by the way is always so long that you never get all the way through it, um, that actually you need to pay extra for your seats, as well as extra to check in online if you haven't done it already, as well as extra for airport taxes. Um, terms and conditions are everywhere. And I think often as Christians, uh, we kind of see God's law being a bit like these terms and conditions. God made great unconditional promises of salvation, of blessing in the Bible, but the law is the tiny small print which actually says, hey guys, this offer isn't really as great or as easy to get as you might think. Um, but the right view of the law and its function is at the heart of our passage today. Uh, so if you've been coming over the past few weeks, hopefully you'll remember that in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul has been explaining that God's dealings with Abraham, back, all the way back in Genesis, promises of land, of people, of blessing, was really an early sign of the gospel. Um, you read that in verse 8 of chapter 3. Abraham was a sinner who God reached out to in mercy, made promises to, which he was to receive by faith. That sounds exactly like the gospel. Furthermore, in verse 14 of chapter 3, he makes the claim that the blessing promised to Abraham comes down to us through Jesus. How is this so? Uh, well, in verse 16 of our passage, he says the promises were given to Abraham and his seed. Uh, the seed, he says, is singular and refers to Jesus. So the promises given to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. And if you look to the end of our passage in verse 29, you see that if we belong to Christ, if we are united to Christ, which is true of all Christians, then we are also part of Abraham's seed. Christ is the seed with a capital S of Abraham, and we as Christians are united to Christ. So the promises he receives, we receive also. And all this is accomplished through faith, through trusting in Jesus. Now, if that all seems uh, tiny bit, a bit dense, a bit heavy, um, the point Paul wants to take us away from it is the, that the principle of trusting in God 
to receive his promises is established back in Genesis and with Abraham. It's not something that just starts in the New Testament. And this is crucial in understanding the law. The idea of faith in God actually predates the law. Okay, but is God just adding some terms and conditions later on uh, with extra charges? Does the giving of the law later change the terms of the contract God made with Abraham? Uh, Well, Paul is pretty clear. It's a big no. He wants to see that the promises God made to Abraham and ultimately to us are not undone or changed in any way by the law given to Moses. Uh, Indeed, he writes in verse 15 that no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So Paul is saying the gospel message has always been there, right back at the beginning of the Old Testament. And just as a contract cannot be changed or added to by something that comes later, so the law given to Moses cannot change or modify the promises of the gospel, for the law came after it, 430 years later, to be precise. So whatever the law is doing, it cannot possibly be overturning the principle of trusting in God. So that leads to the question, what is the law there for? Uh, which is where Paul goes next. Why was it introduced? Why is the law needed? What use does it have? Uh, We'll have a look down at verse 19. Paul says that the law was added because of transgressions. Uh, Transgressions is a longer and more archaic word for sins. The law came because of human sin. Uh, What does this mean? Uh, it's a pretty hotly contested verse, um, different interpretations everywhere you look. But to help us understand what Paul means, it's helpful to look at the surrounding verses. So in verse 22, Paul talks about the scripture, that is the law given to Moses, locking up everything. Uh, verse 23 talks of people being held in custody by the law. So we've got the image of prison. The law puts us in prison. And it keeps us there. Uh, but how? Uh, it would help us like, think about this. Paul addresses the same issue uh, in another letter in Romans. Uh, and in chapter 7, Paul writes autobiographically about himself. He says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. So what Paul's actually saying is that sin is revealed and increased by the law. So God in the law reveals his good and perfect standard of how we are to live, And we consequently become aware of how far we fall short of that standard. And what's more, our sin sees the commandment to not do something, and inevitably our desire to disobey increases. Uh, I'm sure we can actually all relate to this. Um, uh, If I see sort of any of these signs, and if you're like me, seeing signs like keep off the grass, I immediately want to go on the grass. Um, I'm wondering why do they want to keep me off the grass? Um, And especially in Hong Kong, where I really miss grass, it's a really hard command to obey. But actually, 
as an aside, there's not, there's not to say there's anything wrong or sneaky or devious about the law itself. The law itself is a good thing. It revealed God's character. Broken down to its simplest form, Jesus tells us that the law called for a love of God and a love for neighbor. And that's actually a wonderful standard to call us to. But because of our sinful hearts, it's actually a standard that exposes us. It reveals our inability to live the way he desires. And if we go back to our passage, the final nail in our coffins is that the law itself does not have the ability to change us. Look at verse 21. If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But of course it didn't. At Paul's point, the law in itself cannot impart life. And this is why we are imprisoned. God reveals to us by the law just how sinful and condemned we are before him. And the law has no power in itself to change us or rescue us from that situation. It was never intended to. Indeed, the law actually increases our sin. And we are pronounced guilty, but without any means of escape. So, as I'm sure you can see, we have a big problem. Okay, so the law is given to reveal our sin, hold us captive, but to what end? Is there a reason for this imprisonment? And Paul says a big yes. Our sin is revealed and increased by the law in order to prepare us for a saviour. And that saviour is Jesus. Uh, Look down at verse 22. Paul says, But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So the law imprisons us by revealing our sin, our desperate situation before God, in order that we would trust in the promise about Jesus and so be justified. Um, An analogy Paul uses is describing the law as a guardian, as he puts it in verse 24. Um, In those days, guardians were people who prepared children for adulthood. And the guardian in this analogy is, of course, the law. And he's saying the law is preparing people for adulthood by showing them their helpless situation and thus getting them ready to put their faith in Jesus. Um, Martin Luther, the great German scholar, he sums it all up pretty nicely. He says, the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it shows unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised and broken, and by this means may be driven to see grace, and so to come to that blessed seed, Christ. So Paul has shown us that the law does not overturn the gospel promise God made to Abraham and to us through Jesus, nor does it demand we add something on top of the faith that we're called to have in Jesus. Rather, it fits in with the gospel promise by revealing our sin and preparing and pointing us to the Saviour who can rescue us. So putting that all together, how then as Christians are we to relate to the law? What use is it? Um, maybe we just now ignore it. Um, do we still have to follow it? Um, these seem to be the two camps that Christians nowadays tend to fall into. But as we'll see, actually, neither of these positions is right. Have a look at verse 25. 
Paul says we are no longer under the law now that Jesus has come. He refers to the law as a guardian earlier on. Well, the guardian can now go into retirement now that Jesus has come. Paul, as we've seen in the past uh, few weeks, he's opposing some Jewish Christians who are insisting that Gentile Christians should obey certain parts of the Mosaic law to be fully part of God's people. Uh, In other words, they were saying to be fully accepted by God required obeying part of the law. But the problem with this is that by trying to obey part of the law, you place yourself back in prison. As Paul said earlier in chapter 3, no one can be justified by the law as it requires perfection, and no one can attain that. If you're trying to obey one part of the law, you need to obey all of the law. To put Christians back under a part of the law is to therefore condemn them again. And Paul's point is now that Jesus, to whom the law pointed us, has come, then we are no longer under the condemning supervision of the law. With the coming of Jesus, we are set free from the law. And by faith, we take hold of God's promises. So what the Jewish Christians were doing is going back to the old covenant when the new has arrived. They're calling for a a BC lifestyle in the AD time period. The one for whom the law was preparing us to come has come. So we are no longer under the law. Um, But before you go home and you get those scissors out, and you try and snip all those Old Testament books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus out of your Bibles, Paul is not saying the law has nothing useful to say to us now. I think as Christians we're often confused as to why we still have all these laws in the Bible, and I think rarely we actually go through and read them. But I want to suggest two ways in which the law is still useful for us. Paul will talk more about this in chapter 5, so only a brief word on it now, but The law, as we saw, revealed God's good standard, in particular how to love God and how to love neighbor. And that standard is still God's standard. As Christians have put our faith in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, God writes his laws on our hearts. The great promise of Jeremiah 31. The law no longer stands over us to condemn us. We are forgiven in Jesus. But it's still useful in showing us what love of God is and what love of neighbor looks like. And with the Spirit now in us, we are empowered to carry out those commands in our lives. So with the Spirit's help, as we seek to follow Jesus, we grow in our love for God and in our love for neighbor, the very things the law ultimately wanted from us. The second way the law is still helpful relates back to our point on the condemning and imprisoning function of the law. Actually, the law still helps in revealing our sin, even as Christians. It's still useful in pointing us to our Savior. As we're reminded of God's standard as we read the law, we see how we still fail to live up to it in many ways. The more we continue to see how sinful we are, then the more we marvel at God's mercy in sending Jesus. We cling to Jesus all the more. As we see that it's only through him that we can find acceptance before God. And we can give him thanks that because of Jesus, we are now, as Paul says in verse 26, children of God through faith. And we are in Christ, we are part of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So one application I want to leave you with this morning is just to go home and read your Old Testament. Um, Don't be scared of it. In your quiet times, 
Go through Deuteronomy. Go through Leviticus. Marvel at God's grace in accepting us despite our sinful nature. And as we see what it looks like to love God, to love our neighbor, let us pray that God will help us to change and grow in this love. So finally, uh, this view of the law's continuing usefulness is also helpful um, in thinking about how we reach out to non-Christians, of how we present the gospel to others. The law is crucial in illuminating people's true spiritual condition before God. But is this message of sin and judgment before God something we are willing to confront our friends and our family with? Uh, John Stott is uh, somebody who's quoted a lot in the church. Uh, you've probably heard him quite a lot. I really tried hard this week not to quote him, but um, he did have some really good points to say on this passage. Um, John Stott was often critical of the modern-day church, um, as he thought it was often guilty of brushing um, doctrines of sin, of judgment, under the carpet. Almost as if the church thought that the notion of being sinful was you know, a bit out of date. Um, and he thought the church promoted instead the idea that God is merely your friend uh, who wants you to be his friend as well. He saw a lack of emphasis on God's holiness, God's majesty, and of our failure to live as he wants us to. And the question is, do we today present the gospel as good news without first revealing the problem? Do we go straight to how great Jesus is without first telling our friends about the depths of their spiritual problem? Uh, Stott helpfully writes that we cannot come to Christ to be justified until we have first been to Moses to be condemned. And actually to bypass sin and judgment, neglect to tell people that they stand condemned before God because of their sins, is actually to make the good news something a lot less good and to make Jesus a lot less great. God's love is all the more brighter when people realize the darkness they're in. Um, In a moment, we're going to sing a song all about evangelism, about bringing the great news to people that only Jesus has the power to save. And the wonder of this salvation is that we need it so badly. Uh, As John says, no man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first been revealed to him. Um, And if you're not a Christian here today, and you do feel the weight of your sin, uh, of your unworthiness before God, The good news, as we've seen, is that merely through trusting in Jesus can our sin, our shame, our guilt be wiped clean. Jesus the Saviour came to make us right with God. And what's stopping you putting your trust in him today? It really is as simple as it sounds. Um, Let me use Paul's words at the end of our passage as a fitting conclusion uh, for what we've been talking about. Paul writes that, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to the promise. So as Christians, we belong to Christ. No matter where you're from, have a look around you today in Southern Church. No matter what social background you're from, whether you're rich, you're poor, male or female, whoever you are, you are accepted by God in the same way, through faith in Jesus. So let's continue to be amazed this is always God's plan. 
the right from the beginning, it has always been God's desire for us to trust in the forgiveness offered through his son. We are no longer enslaved by the law, for Christ has set us free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that throughout history you've always been working and preparing your people to trust in Jesus and that through your Son we are freed from the law's condemnation. Please help us to cling to Jesus always as our only hope in this life but also empower us to live more godly, more godly lives in everything that we do. Help us to do what is right in your eyes. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, He was going to come up and introduce the last song to us.